Good morning, everybody. This is episode number four on this series we're calling Prophetic. All about prophecy, all about prophets, all about what the scriptures teach about the gift of prophecy and the nature of prophecy and the nature of prophets. Uh, We've already talked about in episode one um, the logistics of prophecy, the delivery of prophecy, the methodology behind it. Uh, We talked about the definition of prophecy. Episode two, we talked about the New Testament. And we talked about how if the New Testament is completed and we have a complete canon of Scripture, does that necessitate that prophecy and prophets are no longer needed or necessary for the church? We talked about that. Um, Episode 3 talked about training prophecy and developing the gift of prophecy. Um, And today we're talking about dreams. I know a lot of people have been excited for this one because a lot of people have dreams. A lot of people have like really standout dreams that rock them in the morning and that just sticks with them all day and they're really wondering, is God telling me something? That dream really rocked me and it felt so real. Is there something to it? So I think everyone's been looking forward to this episode on dreams. So what I'm gonna do is not take any more time. We're gonna get right into it. Um, If you go to Numbers chapter 12, verse six, uh, everyone's had dreams again, okay? And uh, the question becomes, how do I discern between bad pizza, uh, just something that aggravated me and made me have weird dreams. How do I discern between just a random dream and potentially God speaking to me and bringing clarity to something in my life through a dream? How do I discern? How do I know when a dream is actually something that I should pay attention to um, and when it's nothing, okay? I don't think the qualifications are going to be worldly. In other words, I don't think we're going to filter this through a worldly, psychological, kind of philosophical way of thinking, we're not gonna go, well, if it felt real, let's measure the degree to which it felt real. How did it make you feel? What we're gonna do is evaluate scripture, okay? And in Numbers chapter 12, verse six, for people that are wondering, why are we even doing this? Because I believe, biblically, God has not stopped speaking to people in this capacity. Maybe it's uh, decreased, maybe the degree to which God does it uh, has slowed a bit, maybe it's spread out differently, I don't know, okay? I just believe biblically, that it didn't stop with the establishment of the New Testament. Okay, I don't believe that that God goes, you know what, now that they have the canon of scripture, I don't need to speak in dreams anymore. 
and I already explained why in the second episode. Go watch that for those that don't. <clears throat> if you have not watched episodes leading up to this, like my encouragement to you, do not watch this. Because I'm, I'm working with a lot of uh, assumptions that you and I agree on. I'm working with some premises that you might, if you don't agree with me, okay, you won't agree with my conclusions about dreams. So for those of you that are like, I don't even believe God speaks in dreams, that's fine. Go watch episode one, two, and three. Then come back and watch this. Don't just jump in the middle of the series and make a judgment call about something that you haven't even experienced fully. You don't jump in the middle of a movie and be like, you know what, I hate this movie. You haven't watched the whole thing, bro. So listen to the whole argument, hear my reasoning, and um, let's go to Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. Okay. Uh, all this kind of started because I had a vision in the night, which I believe is distinguished from a dream. I think those are different. Visions in the night can be, uh, dreams can be a form of that, but I also believe visions in the night are also their own separate thing. We'll talk about visions next episode, next week. Uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. Here's my biblical reasoning for even making an episode like this on dreams. Here's why it matters. Uh, it says, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, this is the Lord speaking. I, the Lord, make myself known to him. There's a revelation going on. God is revealing himself and his character and his nature. How? To a prophet. How does God reveal himself specifically to a prophet? Okay, not just common ordinary folk, not just random people across the planet throughout human history. Specifically, he's talking about prophets. How does God make himself known to prophets? Well, in a vision. <clears throat> I speak with him in a dream. And then he goes, not so with Moses. Moses is different. Moses is faithful in all my house. So Hebrews would tell us Moses is a servant in the house of God, which is different than Jesus. Jesus is actually the one who builds the house, the son of the house. So Moses is a faithful servant in the house of God, a unique prophet, a mediator of the Sinai covenant. So no one else gets to play that role except Moses. So Moses is very unique. And so God is setting apart Moses from your typical everyday average prophet, not to make prop, not to belittle prophets. We're not minimizing the prop, the prophetic. But we are saying that Moses is different. Moses is fundamentally different as a covenant mediator. No other prophet played that role except Jesus in the new covenant. And so God is saying, I speak to prophets in visions and dreams. With Moses, though, I speak with him mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles, not in riddles. So there is a way in which God does communicate in riddles, hence the dreams. Most of the dreams you're going to come across in the Old Testament are going to be these riddlic, riddlic, cryptic, uh, mysterious kind of riddles in dreams. They're metaphors, they're symbolic, they're imagery, and they're hard, hard to decipher without the interpretation of God. They're impossible to decipher without the interpretation of God. But nonetheless, most of the dreams you're going to see in the Old Testament are going to be riddled with symbolic imagery and metaphors. And that's a way that God speaks. We can't ignore that. And there's no reason to think that now that the New Testament is done, and now that we have the completed canon of Scripture, God no longer speaks in this capacity. I, I explained why logically, reasonably, and biblically, that's a poor conclusion to come to. Okay? So, um, God is making a distinction between Moses, other prophets. Um, he speaks face-to-face, mouth-to-mouth, not in riddles, clearly with Moses. But that doesn't mean God does not speak to other prophets. He speaks in visions and dreams. These are cryptic. These are mysterious. These are metaphorical. These require interpretation. Not so with Moses. So 
we don't here have three ways that God speaks to the ordinary individual yet. Okay, yet. We'll get to Joel, we'll get to Acts 2. For now, in Numbers 12, we have God speaking in visions, dreams, and mouth to mouth. That is the prophetic means through which God communicates to people, specifically prophets here. But you're going to see in the Old Testament, a lot of non-prophets get a lot of dreams, visions, um, not necessarily this word-to-word, you know, face-to-face interaction Moses had. That's unique to Moses. But we're just laying the foundation and we're saying it's there. It is a means through which God has ordained to communicate to people through dreams. Most often, it's with prophets like this. But you're going to see in the Old Testament, okay, we're going to go to Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to go to Pharaoh, we're going to go to um, a lot of people who are non-prophets that receive dreams. They receive this, you know, word from God in a dream. Now, this, at least in the time of Numbers, when the Torah is being compiled, Moses is writing this down, this is not normative for the average everyday individual. This is specifically a way that God communicates um, in this context to prophets. That Again, that does not mean that God will not speak to anyone else in dreams and visions, but specifically uh, the primary audience that is receiving dreams and visions prophetically on a frequent basis is going to be prophets. Now, when you get to Joel, Joel is going to speak of something different, where it's not just the prophets that God is speaking in visions and in dreams to, but Joel is prophesying of the new covenant that will be established in Christ and his blood and his death and resurrection. So this is all pointing us to Jesus. We don't want to detach prophecy and dreams and visions from the gospel, from Christ, okay? He is everything. And so we should see Christ within this whole thing. We should see how it relates to him, how he makes this possible. And I think through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, now we have what Joel prophesied of. And Joel says this in chapter 2, and, and Peter will quote this in his sermon in Acts 2. Joel 2, 28, it shall come to pass afterward, okay? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, okay? Now, this is hyperbolic language in terms of not like every creature, every breathing, living, created, animated being on the planet, fish, birds. This is talking about specifically, hey, no racial barriers, no ethnic barriers, no distinction between age and gender and ethnicity and geographical location. All people who have the spirit of God, who are filled with the spirit through faith, are going to have this experience. God pours out his spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And so, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days, okay, I will pour out my spirit. Now, the spirit is being poured out not just on Israelites in Acts, but we see that it goes to Samaritans, it goes to the Gentile world. All peoples, every tribe, nation, and tongue gets to be filled with the Spirit should they believe in the Messiah, should they trust in the gospel for salvation. And so the Spirit is poured out, uh, not, without, not with reservation, right? God doesn't show partiality. God pours out His Spirit on whomever believes. And Peter makes this abundantly clear in the sermon he gives to Cornelius in the household. He goes, now I know, like before this, I thought this was just for Jews, maybe Samaritans. Now I know God shows no distinction among those who believe and trust and fear the name of the Lord. He'll pour out his spirit on all people who believe. So Joel is not an ethnically restrictive statement, 
He is saying your sons and daughters will prophesy. The Israelite sons and daughters, whether they're old, whether they're young, male, female, there's no distinction between age, gender, ethnic barriers. Israel, Israel's people, those who believe and are a part of the new covenant and look to Christ as Messiah, they will have these experiences. But this is not a restrictive statement to only Israel. This is Joel partially prophesying. Remember, prophets uh, prophesy in part. Okay, so um, you go to Acts chapter 2, Peter will say the same thing. Now that the day of Pentecost has come and the Spirit is poured out, people are trying to make sense of what they're seeing. And Peter goes, oh, everyone, stop. You, shh, let me tell you something. And he's going to quote Joel. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. You're hearing different tongues. You're hearing different languages. You're hearing the beauty of what God has done and us extolling and praising the name of God in different tongues. Here's what's happening. Joel told us this would happen. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. He's quoting Joel. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Okay, no distinction between age, gender. These are, these are younger <clears throat> individuals, sons and daughters, prophesying. That's, it's wonderful because prophecy was uh, given only to, well, I guess we'll get to that when we get to that. I'm going to hold that statement because I don't want to open up the can of worms. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. This is a promise of the new covenant. Some would be tempted to say, well, this is just for Israel. Not so. The spirit is not just for Israel. So what comes attached to the spirit and what becomes possible by the indwelling of the spirit is not restricted just to Israel either. Second thing I've heard people say is, well, this is just referring to the time prior to the, to the completion of scripture. Once the canon is completed, this promise that God made through Joel that would be in the last days, um, it, it finds its completion in the canon of scripture being finished. Meaning when the New Testament is done, the, the, the sons and daughters prophesying, young men seeing visions, old men dreaming dreams, that stops. I've already explained why I don't think that's reasonable, logical, or biblical. Um, even on male servants and female servants. So now um, there's like uh, social, no social barriers to this. Um, in those days I'll pour out my spirit, they shall prophesy. So what is Peter referencing? Well, then he'll talk about the wonders in the heavens, the signs on the earth, and all that comes you know, with um, um, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, that the day of the Lord is coming. And we could spend a lot of time on that. But I just want to focus in on the idea that Peter's quoting from Joel. And this is happening real time. What Joel said is going to happen. Old men will dream dreams. Um, young men will see visions. Sons and daughters will prophesy. That promise is fulfilled with the Spirit of God being poured out. So... What makes this promise so special and unique? In other words, when Joel's prophesying before Peter, before the Spirit comes, what makes this promise so unique and something to be excited about? Well, your average person will be dreaming dreams by the Spirit of God. Your average person who, whether they're um, young, whether they're old, whether they're male, whether they're female, whatever social status they have, wherever they find themselves, if they're given that unique gift of prophecy, well, now anyone who has the Spirit of God that God chooses to bestow that gift on can have that. This is now no longer about um, uh, prophet, priest, king, and that unique trifecta in the Old Testament, but now it's extended to the common folk, you might say. Okay, um, And so this is about 
whether you're young, old, the, the prophesying, the visions, and the dreams. Remember in Deuteronomy chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 12, there's that threefold way that God speaks to the prophets. There's the face-to-face -face kind of just speaking in clear language, <clears throat> probably like an audible voice. That kind of prophecy, that, that prophetic word that came to Moses. Okay, there's that category. There's visions, then there's dreams. Those are the same three categories Joel works with and Peter is quoting from to work with as well. That now, when, when God says in Numbers 12, this is how I speak to the prophets. Now it's extended to the church. It's anyone who has this unique uh, gifting or even if God wants to speak to them in that capacity by the Spirit, He can and they can receive it because they have the Spirit of God to discern, to interpret, uh, to, to look to the rest of the church for help and counsel and wisdom. That is now a reality for the New Testament church. So this is your average, the promise and the beauty behind what Joel says is your average person will be dreaming dreams by the Spirit of God, receiving revelation and interpretation from God by the discernment given by the Spirit. So this must mean that dreams were not as frequent of a mode of communication between God and the average human prior to the day of Pentecost, prior to the pouring out of the Spirit. That's what makes this unique is not just the widespreadness of it and who can participate, but the frequency of it among New Testament, New Covenant believers. So once the Spirit comes, right, things change with the New Covenant. Now, <clears throat> there's not Samuel or Moses or like that prophetic voice that everyone's like, we just need a prophet. Now, if you have the Spirit of God and God bestows that gift on you, you can also prophesy. You can be a part of that. You can be a part of the revelation and the giving of God's word prophetically. So God doesn't tell us, watch what God doesn't say in this prophecy and in what Peter says, okay? God doesn't tell us that this beautiful benefit, dreaming dreams, visions, prophesying by the Spirit of God, he doesn't say this benefit is for a certain generation of new covenant believers. There's no time frame attached to it. There's no, well, prophecy and visions and dreams will happen until. There's no time cap. Um, as he says, I'll show wonders in the heavens, signs on the earth. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. The day before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. It shall come to pass. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the question becomes, um, hey, is there any limitation to this? Is, that for a, is this only for a specific generation prior to the, the New Testament being formed? No, it doesn't. There's, you'd be reading into the text if you said that. Well, this, this is only for a period of time in human history while God is validating the gospel through the apostles. It doesn't say that. You can develop a systematic theology around that, but I, I think you would be kind of forcing that. So the question becomes, again, is this promise this promise God made, hey, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons, daughters, young men, male servants, female servants, no distinction. Anyone who I choose to give the gift of prophecy by the spirit and speak to them in this capacity, they can listen, right? So I don't think this is just referring to gifting. I, I, I don't want to make this like, well, whoever only has the gift. This is God saying, hey, those who have the spirit, dreams and visions will be a part of the faith walk throughout their life. How frequent? That's up to God. How often? That's up to God. How, to what degree am I going to be able to discern? That's up to God. The point is, um, whether gifted or not, if I, if I made an unnecessary distinction, I'm sorry, whether gifted with prophecy or not, if you're a new covenant believer, the experience of visions, dreams, um, 
and, and, and this capacity of God speaking, it won't be normative and it won't be equally as frequent as another believer, but it will still be somehow a part of your Christian experience this side of heaven. If you get one dream, cool. If you get two visions, sweet throughout your life. The point is, this is true of the church, of those who are a part of the new covenant. Okay? Um, so, I don't think this is age restrictive. Only the young men will see visions and only the old men will dream dreams. Acts destroys that because you have all these different people having these different experiences and it's not restricted. So th this is not a restrictive statement. This is not limiting. God only gives visions to young men and dreams to old men and sons and daughters will get that prophetic experience. This is how God decides what he wills and he's sovereign over it. So if this promise was only for a small window of human history, um, I would say what makes this new covenant promise so amazing? Like if human history prior to the day of Pentecost, if it's building towards this incredible promise to be fulfilled and it only lasts for less than half a century or less than a century until the completion of the New Testament, um, what makes this promise so incredible? Again, there's no timetable attached to it. It's also unique because it marks a new season of human history. Why be excited about such a unique promise that is only for a generation of people? Peter doesn't, again, make this about only for the Israelites or only for... He is, pro, he is declaring this to Israelites in this capacity. But guess what you're going to see throughout Acts? Um, that whether Jew or Gentile, God speaks how he wants. Whether you're old or young, God speaks how he wants. Uh, look at how God called Samuel. Look at how God called Jeremiah. Look at how God works with David when he's younger. I don't think God distinguishes between age and gender and social, social class and geographical location, ethnicity. None of that is a factor in who God chooses to speak to. So um, it's hard to get behind a promise and be excited about it, right? When that doesn't even apply to us anymore if God doesn't speak in this capacity anymore. Now it's like, well, that's a great promise. That is not for us, but only for that generation of Israelites. That, that'd be weird um, from, from my perspective. It'd be like, that's great. So cool that Tony's prophesying and uh, I missed out on that. And I have the completion of the New Testament, unlike Tony, but still, God stopped speaking like that. And so I just kind of get to watch at a distance. So again, it doesn't say how long people will dream dreams, how often uh, or even if these dreams are only for the people listed. Um, it could be for everyone who has the Spirit of God in varying degrees of frequency, especially when one is gifted like that. When one is gifted with the ability to prophesy and proclaim prophetically, declare the word of the Lord. Um, maybe it comes more natural to dream dreams and have visions. I don't know. I don't know if there's a parallel between that. <clears throat> but um, what we're going to look at now are all the different dreams in the, in the scriptures. Okay, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my absolute best. Um, to just kind of do an overview and not get stuck in the weeds. But watch, every dream we're going to look at, Abraham's dream, Abimelech's dream, Jacob's dream, Laban's dream, Joseph's dream, the baker's dream, Pharaoh's dreams, Gideon's, the Midianites' dreams, uh, King Saul, um, King Solomon, King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel's dreams, Joseph, the father of Jesus, physical descent, <clears throat> maybe not even. Mary's husband, Pilate's wife's dream, all these different dreams, okay? What you're going to see in common, I'm letting you know ahead of time so you can like go and look, okay? 
go and look. What makes, um, what unites all these dreams, there, there are some commonalities, I'm letting you know ahead of time, that God will often, okay, um, when he gives dreams, it'll be, it'll fall in line with one of these purposes. It's either to warn, it's either to change the direction of a person's life, it's either to reveal himself, God revealing himself, it's either God proving himself as the one true God, um, it's God maybe exalting his own name, advancing his kingdom, maybe God positioning his people like Daniel or Joseph, um, God confirming the steps of a person like when, when Paul has a vision in the night that they're, they're going to make it after the, the shipwreck and all that. Um, or, you know, God is going to show what he's about to do. Okay. Those are like the different categories that dreams will fall in. What I will say that is this, most of the dreams we're going to come across God gives in the night, they're actually warnings. They're warnings. They're revealing what God is going to do in the, in the future so that the person can take necessary preparatory steps. Okay? And so when God gives a dream, there's always a purpose. It's not always the same, but when I surveyed the Old Testament and the New, most often, like 85% of the time, it's a warning. It's, it's, it's God intervening to help the person take the necessary measure to do the right thing when they wake up and avoid the wrong thing. And so there are other purposes for sure, like God establishing steps, advancing his kingdom, proving himself, revealing himself, um, showing what he's about to do. But a lot of these are warning. Like when he comes to Abimelech, Laban, uh, Joseph's, the baker and the cupbearer, Pharaoh, uh, the Midianites who received dreams, um, Daniel's dreams, King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, Joseph, the husband of Mary's dreams, Pilate's wife's dream. Like those are all warning dreams. And I, <clears throat> I don't know if we can, you know, definitively say that, you know, based on this, God's dreams, when God gives dreams, it's always a warning. It's not always a warning. You'll, you'll see this in a minute, okay? But I'm just letting you know that, that that's what I saw in common with these uh, so far. Um, and what I didn't share is this, okay? Um, actually, we'll get to this when we get to Abimelech's dream. We're going to start in Genesis, okay? I'm just going to build, hopefully, a, an accurate, systematic theology of dreams. And hopefully this gives you clarity. <clears throat> and there's going to be some instruction at the end, more preventative measures, um, more application. How do I interpret? What do I do with dreams? That kind of stuff. Genesis 15, Abraham has a dream. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful, great darkness fell upon him. Okay? Then the Lord says to Abraham, Hey, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. They will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years. God is warning Abraham of what his descendants will experience once Abraham's out of the picture. And this is years from now. After Isaac, after Jacob, after Joseph, generations after Joseph, for 400 years, God is letting Abraham know. And you wonder why. Why is this information <clears throat> something that Abraham needs to know? Does it change how Abraham will live? Does it change how Abraham will conduct himself and plan his family and make this, you know, how does this affect Abraham? I don't think the text clearly indicates that. 
just that God is making it clear what will happen to validate the promise he made. I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, that's going to be Egypt. Afterward, they'll come out with great possessions. As for you, go to your fathers in peace. You'll be buried in a good old age. So he's letting Abraham know, don't worry, you get to kind of miss out on that and skip that persecution part. Um, you'll die in a ripe buried and buried in a good old age. They'll come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay. So no matter what, every time God gives a dream vision, it is to, um, trying to think of the best way to say this. It's always to make his name great, whether it's to prove himself, to validate his prophet, to make it clear that he will come through on a promise. Every dream is to magnify the name of the Lord. It somehow points back to him and glorifies him. So I think that is always going to be <coughs> one filter for how we determine that a dream uh, is is truly of God. No matter what, everything God does in the lives of his people, including speaking to them through dreams, is going to um, extol, exalt, magnify his name. It will, it will make... Uh, your view of God grow, right? It'll grow your love and appreciation and fear of God. There's a wow, he's the one true God that will be validated by whatever dream he gives. So this is what, what he tells Abraham. When the sun went down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch um, passed between these pieces. There's a covenant taking place. He's establishing a covenant. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land. So he's letting him know what he's going to do, but in between, there's going to be 400 years of that, in, that being enslaved to Egypt. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So what is God doing here? He's establishing a covenant between him and Abram, validating it. Uh, there's a lot taking place here. The question for me is, why didn't God tell this to Abraham when he was awake? God speaks to Abram quite a, quite a bit uh, when Abram's wide awake. Hey, go there. Hey, I want you to leave here. Hey, let's park it here. Hey, let's not do that. God speaks a lot. <clears throat> He'll come to him at the Oaks of Mamre, I believe, uh, is where he meets. In Genesis 18, uh, you got three people, physical manifestations coming to Abram, and he bows, brings an offering. So God has definitely already spoken to Abraham when he's wide awake. For me, I'm like, what? Why didn't why didn't God just tell this to Abraham like He normally reveals things to Abraham when He's awake? Why meet with Abraham in a dream when God can easily speak to Abraham by His voice when Abraham's awake, like normal? Um, and then another question I have, and I, I don't know the answer. I don't I don't think we're supposed to know. Just we're supposed to take note of it and go, that's weird. <clears throat> There's a lot that God reveals when Abraham's awake. Why <laughs> speak in this capacity? Why not just be consistent? Not to say God is inconsistent, but he varies in his communication methods for different purposes, for different reasons, to accomplish different things, to highlight different aspects of his character. <coughs> God always has a purpose for the way he communicates. So, uh, you know, another question I have is why are these unique details only given to Abraham in this dream and nowhere else? These unique details about, hey, you know, the people who come from you, the nation, they're going to be in slavery for 400 years. Don't worry. <clears throat> sorry, I'm, I'm bringing judgment on the nation that they're going to serve. And also like the iniquity of the Amorites, it's filling up to the measure until I release judgment. 
Like these are unique details that number one, Abraham doesn't need to know. Like I don't know if this would practically change how Abraham conducts himself and lives. Either way, he's going to follow the voice of the Lord. Either way, he's going to do what God says. Either way, he's going to believe the promise and have a promised seed come through him. So why these unique details that don't like specifically affect Abraham then? Because God's going to go, you're going to die and avoid this. Just so you know, this is what I'm going to do when you're, when you're gone. It's like, well, why did I need to know that? <laughs> well, why did I need to know that? Okay, this is a covenant sealing dream though. That's for sure. This dream plays into the covenant God is sealing with Abraham. He's marking the covenant that he's making with Abraham. Um, that makes this dream incredibly important, <clears throat> special, and unique. God could have done this through vision. God could have done this while Abram's wide awake. God could have brought maybe another prophet, because apparently there are prophets that are actually like, I mean, you look at Melchizedek, uh, priest king. You look at uh, Balaam, who's out there on the outskirts in Moab doing his thing, hearing from God. So there's obviously like other people that seem to be uh, interacting with the God of Israel. Why didn't God just send someone who is hearing from him? Why a dream? I don't really know. Uh, it is unique. It is unique. And so I, I think that that plays into why God gives a dream rather than a vision or a word like normally to Abraham is because of the uniqueness of what he, the details and the covenant and the future. Um, there's a man named Abimelech who I believe is the, yeah, Gerar. Gerar. He's the king in Gerar. Um, and God comes to Abimelech after Abimelech takes Sarah. Now, Sarah's Abram's wife. Problem is, Abram lied and was like, what's up, King Gerar? Gerar? This is just my sister. <laughs> We're totally not married. King Gerar goes, mm, okay, sweet. Takes Sarah, brings him into, you know, brings her into his house. And Abimelech is sleeping. God comes to Abimelech in a dream. And he's going to warn Abimelech. Behold, you're a dead man. Because of the woman you've taken, she is a man's wife. Abimelech had not approached her. In other words, hadn't known her physically, no sexual interaction. So he said, Lord, you're going to kill an innocent people? Whoa, 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 let's take it easy. I didn't know. He told me she's my sister. And she herself validated that. He's my brother. That's weird. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. Now, did Abraham technically lie? No, technically his half-sister. Still deceiving then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Remember how I said dreams are often preventative measure to keep someone from doing the wrong thing when they wake up. This is God warning Abimelech. I'm trying to keep you from doing something you'll regret because then I have to answer with consequences. I'm trying to help you avoid it. I'm keeping you from sin. Abimelech wakes up and he goes, I didn't touch her. Okay. I didn't touch her. And God goes, I know I didn't let you. That's why I'm stopping you. So he goes, now then return the man's wife. He's a prophet. Which by the way, you're like, Abram's a prophet? What? When did that happen? So that he will pray for you and you shall live. He's a prophet. In other words, God is going to validate Abraham as a prophet by answering Abraham's prayer to bring healing to the wombs of those in Gerar, I believe. Um, Abimelech rose early in the morning. The men were terrified. Abimelech called Abraham and go, what have you done? What did I do to you? Uh, Abimelech said to Abraham, why did you do this thing? Abraham goes, well, I thought there's no fear of God in this place. Abram was wrong, by the way, because apparently the king of Gerar knows the Lord, recognizes him as the true living God, 
Uh, we don't know if there are other pagan gods he worships alongside, but he at least recognizes the true and living God of creation. Um, so Abram was wrong. There is fear of God. The king of Gerar does the right thing and fears God. So Abraham made a faulty assumption like we do. Besides, she's indeed my sister. I didn't lie. <laughs> when God caused me to wander, I said, this is the kindness you'll do to me. At every place we come, tell people that I'm your brother. So Abimelech took sheep, oxen. I want to get to the part where he prays. Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord closed the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah. Right? So um, there was already this, this thing happening. Something was developing and set in motion when the king of Gerar took Sarah for himself among his other wives and concubines seemingly. And um, the wombs of these women were closed as consequence. And so God warns Abimelech in a dream. And then God validates Abraham as a prophet by answering his prayer for healing. So this is God validating himself. Remember I said like, a lot, as God is, <clears throat> I hate to use this terminology, but as God is uh, building his reputation in the earth among nations that don't know him or don't want him, right? He'll do things like this. He'll bring a dream to someone in power and then someone else who is a man of God will come and play a role in the interpretation or the solution, right? Or the application. So uh, Abram is the first example of that. Then you'll see Joseph. Then you'll see Daniel. This is a repeating theme with those kings who are in power. God will send in someone who he has validated, right? And he'll validate them as prophet or someone that exalts his name, right? And then he'll answer the dream or he'll give the interpretation or he'll have the prayer answered. So this is God strategically making a name for himself among the people of Gerar through Abram's faulty decision. Um, so in other words, uh, Abimelech was uh, doing something sinful in ignorance, right? Or he would have if he could, if he actually, you know, engaged in sexual relations with Sarah. Um, and so God actually warned Abimelech and kept him from doing the wrong thing. This is completely consistent with Job 33, uh, verse 18. Or 16, sorry, 15. Uh, it says, God speaks in one way, in two, and I've used this quite a bit. I just want to keep referencing it. Though man doesn't perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then, watch, God opens the ears of men, terrifies them with what? Warnings. What are these warnings? How are these warnings coming? In a dream or a vision of the night. Um, sometimes dreams are the vision of the night. Sometimes visions of the night are actually distinguished from uh, sleeping and dreaming, that he may turn man aside from his deed. So is that not what God just did with Abimelech? Abimelech would have sinned in the daytime should he have con continued down that road. God brought a warning and turned Abimelech away from doing that sin and concealed pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. I wonder how many dreams all across the earth right now happened last night that were warning people to turn, to stop, convicting them. And maybe they paid attention, maybe they didn't. I wonder how often this is still happening. Um, and I already talked about how, because there are some will go, what's the, why would God say what's already written clearly in the scriptures? Why wouldn't God continue speaking in this capacity is what I would answer back with. Why would he stop? Well, because scripture is sufficient. I've already explained what sufficiency of scripture is. That doesn't, here, here's, here's the pushback I give to people. 
we as human beings respond differently to different uh, interactions with people, right? When, when I hear the word of God, something's happening that is different than when I actually read. When I'm reading the same, let's say, let's say I'm reading Job 33 on my own, in my own quiet time. There's a way that I'm resonating with that information. There's a way I'm inter interacting with that information and it's, it's actually, you know, touching the core of who I am and it's affecting me. That's, it's going to affect me differently than when I hear. Because when I hear, I'm, I'm by nature an auditory learner, right? That's how I'm wired to learn better. Doesn't mean I can't learn by reading. It means I retain more and I process better when I hear it. So when I hear the same passage read aloud, something else might click for me that didn't when I read it, right? What about when God actually confirms the scripture? Not that he has to, okay? What about when God gives a vision that is completely consistent with the scripture I'm reading, Job 33, and it's a vision and a dream of exactly what I see in Job 33? Was it unnecessary for God to do that? No. No, it was not. Because the way we... Some things click for me better when I see them. Some things click for me better when I hear them. Some things click for me better when I actually see it playing out in real life. And I go, wow, look at the wisdom to glean from that person's life. So there are some ways that God communicates information differently in a way that hits us differently or reveals a different dimension of that same knowledge. And he'll communicate it through different means. And so when we open the word of God, we're not saying God's never going to speak to me other ways because this is perfectly sufficient. That is a way to retain the word of God. Other times, like I'll be honest, sometimes when I watch movies, I have the most profound revelations of scriptures that I've studied for years. Not to say the movie replaces scripture, not to say the movie makes scripture less sufficient, not to say the movie adds to scripture because scripture's lacking, but to say, look, God is confirming what he's already taught me in a new way that I'm visually experiencing. And I'm seeing wisdom play out in a practical movie kind of way. And it, it, it drives that truth deeper than when I just read it this morning. So when God gives visions, when he gives dreams, we're not saying scripture is not sufficient. We're not saying that God won't speak through his word primarily. We're saying it's not redundant and it's not unnecessary for God to continue uh, confirming, clarifying, driving home the truth you read in his word. It's not unnecessary. It's actually quite helpful to experience the same truth from different angles, to experience a dimension of that truth on a deeper level through a different communication medium, whether it's visions or dreams. So I just don't like the idea that, you know, God is redundant if he's, why would he have to show you in a vision what you can read in his word? Because it'll hit different. Because it'll confirm different things about what I already know. Because it'll explain to me a dimension that maybe didn't resonate with me the first time. That's why. There you go. Is there a biblical precedence for this? Yeah, we're going through it. Like Job 33 and, and Numbers 12 and all the previous three episodes prior to this. Okay, so God warns Abimelech just like he confirms in Job 33 that this is the way that God will use dreams. Not the only way. But it is the main purpose, often, behind a dream. So if I were you, I would glean wisdom from this, and I would pay attention to my dreams. Not, it's, I'm not saying every dream is from God. I'm not saying every dream is some, some fantastic, symbolic imagery of what God is showing you about your future. But I am saying that some dreams <coughs> should be weighed, discerned, 
prayed about, received counsel about it, because there potentially is warning in that for you to avoid something that you're about to do or to keep you back from a decision you've already chosen to make. And God's saying, let's not do that. We should really pay attention to what dreams are potentially warnings. And again, there's filters for this. Does it exalt the name of God? Is it consistent with scripture? Does it validate, not even valid, we're not trying to say scripture is unvalidated without dreams, but does it parallel with scripture? And actually, is it, is it a consistent with the word of God, right? Does it magnify the name of God in my heart? Does it promote the fear of the Lord and love for God? All these different filters. Um, but sometimes warnings come through dreams because to be honest, sometimes that's the best way to get someone's attention is when they're kind of just operating in that unconscious state without all the distractions, all the noise, all the things that rob them of focus. God can get them when they're in that, for lack of better words, vulnerable state where he can pinpoint them right where they are. Nothing else is pulling from that. And you're able to actually go, this is indeed the Lord. And so God is strategic. Jacob has a dream in Genesis 28, just like his granddaddy. Just like grandpapa Abraham. Genesis 28.10, Jacob left Beersheba because his brother was trying to kill him. You and I would also leave home. And he went toward Haran. Okay. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night. Because the sun had set and taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head. He lay down in that place to sleep. Listen, every time God gives a dream in the night, it's not because a person went to bed going, hey God, you're going to give me a dream tonight? They don't plan to have dreams. They're not preparing for it. Maybe they're positioned to listen and receive because they've been following the Lord up to that point and their heart is open and their ears are perked up, right? But uh, every dream I've come across, the person doesn't go to bed going, God's going to speak to me in dreams tonight. It just happens. It's spontaneous. It's natural. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is exactly what Jesus references when he tells, <clears throat> it was either Philip, or I forget which disciple, Nathaniel, when he goes, really, you believed because I called you from under the tree? I think it was Nathaniel. I'm going to do greater works than these. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. In other words, Jesus presents himself as the ladder into the kingdom of heaven that angels ascend and descend on. And frankly, that uh, the way that we enter heaven is through him. So he's the ladder. Uh, the angels of God, not that we climb up, but he climbed down to bring us up with him. The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, this is God speaking to Jacob in a dream. Okay. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I'm going to give to you and to your offspring. Now, again, this sounds very similar to what he told Abram in Genesis chapter um, 15. He says, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. Uh, you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. In you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you okay, until I've done what I've promised you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and goes, Whoa, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. So how did God use this dream? One of the ways is not just to confirm the covenant made with Abraham, not just to let Jacob know he's behind him, 
But also, one of the purposes behind the stream is to let Jacob know the Lord is in this place. Because Jacob wasn't aware of that. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone put it under, that he put under his head, set it up for a pillar, poured oil on it, right? And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Jacob makes a vow. In response to the dream, Jacob goes, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I'll and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, the Lord shall be my God, and this stone that I've set up for a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. This is not a prescription to go and tithe. If you want to find other texts to support that idea, go find them. Not this one. This is just describing what Jacob chose to do out of his own free will and generosity in response to the grace of God. So Jacob has a dream, a beautiful covenant confirming dream, um, you know. And so God lets him know, hey, the same way I was with Abraham, I'll be with you. The same way he confirmed to Abraham in a dream, he does the same to Jacob. That's what God does. I don't think there's anything beyond that <clears throat> that, is, that can be said about this dream in particular. God is letting know, uh, Jacob know, though, what will happen, that his descendants will multiply, that he will be with him, you know, all these different things. Um, in Genesis 31, uh, th there, this is somewhat of a warning, more like divine insight. Uh, God's teaching uh, Jacob some, some tools of the trade when it comes to shepherding and having goats and such. In the breeding season of the flock, Jacob's working under Laban, his father-in-law. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in it. My daughter just comes in coughing. Is she okay? <laughs> oh my gosh. Only my little girl. Just. <laughs> oh man. So J Jacob sees uh, in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Not mottled like, mm, mm, but mottled like actual patterns. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. He probably knew the voice. Probably was familiar to him. Hey, Jacob, lift up your eyes and look at all the goats that mate with the flock. Uh, they're striped, spotted, mottled, for I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. Laban's abusing Jacob, but Jacob's also a conniving, kind of mischievous, deceitful little weenie of a man. So he's kind of getting what's, what's coming to him. I'm the God of Bethel where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. So this is God making it very clear. I am God. This is not some, I, I'm God speaking to you, Jacob, in a dream. So the wisdom I'm giving you about the flocks and such, it'll work. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. And then Jacob does that. <clears throat> so this is not just um, uh, God, you know, giving, I think this is the right one, right? Um, just reading. <coughs> There's another dream that I'm thinking of. Never mind, I conflated two passages. At least, okay? This is, don't look at the screen, you'll get dizzy. I'm scrolling really fast, I'll tell you when to look. Now you can look. Um, 
This is God. Sorry, I was thinking of when God, um, when Jacob decides to do what he does with the livestock and such. Uh, this is God telling Jacob, it's time to leave. We're done here. Um, it's time for you to go return to the land of your kindred. So God directs Jacob's steps and wants him to leave Laban's house. It's interesting that he comes in the form of a dream. Um, Jacob is going to wrestle with the angel of God, the exclusive angel of God after this. Um, trying to think of other encounters. When it comes to Jacob's life, mostly God interacts with him in dreams. So Jacob leaves um, Laban's house because of the dream. In other words, God directed him. And there's also within that a warning to not stay. It won't be good for him. Okay. There's a warning that God gives uh, to Laban in chapter, same chapter, 10 verses later. Uh, Jacob leaves. Laban chases him down. And as he's nearing, okay, he sets up camp and he goes to sleep. And God comes to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by the night. So Laban's dreaming. God comes to him in a dream. Remember, Laban's not a prophet. Laban's not some prophetically gifted individual. Just a random guy who's chasing Jacob. And God intervenes how? In a dream. And he says, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. He's defending Jacob. Who is going to become Israel in a little bit. But that's a warning. That's a warning. And then God confirmed his covenant with Jacob at Bethel. God directs his steps in Genesis 31 through a dream. And so... When I say that sometimes direction comes in the form of a dream, sometimes you pray for direction. And again, <clears throat> I don't think we're to build an absolute definitive theology that says every dream I have is directive in nature. But I can think, I, I, I do believe that when we look at how often this happens, we're not making this an isolated experience and going, well, because this happened one time in the Bible, God's going to do that for all of his people. But we are saying God does this a lot with Daniel, with Joseph, with Jacob. Uh, with Abraham, there's direction given in the dreams. And there's warning that comes in dreams. Those are the two primary things we've seen happen. Now, God's not establishing a covenant with me in a dream like he did for Abraham or Jacob, confirming that. I already have a covenant mediated through Christ. Okay, that's established. So there's no covenant establishment that's going to happen for me in a dream. But there, are gonna, there, there might be warnings. There might be direction for the day. What God does in the night is supposed to affect the day. It's supposed to affect how I conduct myself in the daytime. Um, Joseph had some dreams. Remember Joseph? Joseph had a coat of many colors. Remember? He was so favored by his daddy. He goes, look at, look at brothers. I have a coat. You don't. And they're like, we're going to kill you. <laughs> if you do one more thing, I swear. So Joseph has a dream. Young Joseph. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He goes, hey guys, I know you hate me. Like the coat. Let me tell you a dream. Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. Like you see on a Sunday night. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said, are you indeed going to reign over us? Notice, Joseph doesn't give the interpretation. The brothers actually have that. They seem to know what the dream indicates. That obviously our, you know, uh, sheaves are bowing down to your sheaf. Are you indicating that you're going to be over us? So that they seem to have a degree of interpretation and understanding. Are you indeed going to rule over us? Now, of course, they, neither Joseph nor his brothers had the full scope of what it meant. They didn't have the full interpretation, did they? 
Otherwise, Joseph would have been like, don't worry, guys, you're going to sell me into slavery. It's going to be great. And then I'll feed you because Pharaoh's going to kind of appoint me to be second in charge. And I'll take care of you. I won't kill you, even though I could. And I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. That He doesn't have the full scope of what's going on. He just, both Joseph and his brothers, have this idea and understanding that the dream indicates Joseph will have a kind of authority over his brothers. So they hated him even more for his dreams. Now he dreams another dream. Uh, why does God give the same idea in two different dreams? In other words, why does God say the same thing in two different dreams? Guess what he's going to do for Pharaoh? He's going to do the exact same thing. And Joseph's going to tell Pharaoh the fact that it came twice is that it's absolutely, definitively, certainly going to happen. God has established it. It's a word that's been solidified. And so the fact that Joseph has this dream twice is that indication as well, that what God is communicating is going to happen, no matter what. And I think this becomes something that Joseph really holds on to as he goes through the suffering and persecution he does, that I know God gave me a dream that seems to give him a degree of a strength and hope to keep putting his hands to the plow and being faithful in the worst different environments and scenarios he finds himself in, this dream. So in other words, I don't think the text explicitly states this, but you can draw the idea that, you know, Joseph was faithful. Uh, man, in prison, in Potiphar's house, when he's accused at the right hand of, he's faithful. He seems to have this commitment to God and a fear of the Lord. And you wonder if the dreams he was given by God played a role in the strength and the endurance that he had to keep being faithful. And sometimes, God will use dreams in that capacity, I believe, um, to strengthen our hands, to confirm our steps, to give us endurance, to keep going. That's what happens to me a lot, actually. Um, and what's interesting about this dream is he gets more details. He dreamed another dream, told his brothers, and behold, I've dreamed another dream. And they're like, oh my gosh, Joseph. The sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. I bet you guys know who you guys were in the dream. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you dream? Are, are me and your mother gonna, and your brothers going to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Well, you kind of are, Jacob. <laughs> you and mama are going to bow down, not in worship, but in respect and reverence of Joseph's authority. So his brothers were jealous, but his father kept the saying in mind. So I'm sure it frustrated his dad to think, I'm going to bow down to my son. But he also went, hmm, there might be something to this. The, the keeping the saying in mind sounds a lot like Mary treasuring these things in her heart. When the wise men came, or the shepherds came, and bow down to Jesus. You know, we have um, uh, Mary treasuring these things in her heart. And so Joseph gets the, God gives him two dreams about the same thing. Okay extra confirmation. Um, but in the second dream, there's more detail in the sense, okay, um, in the sense that now it's on a cosmic kind of level, meaning um, what we see in Joseph's dream is actually foreshadowing Christ. Um, it's not just about Joseph. Here we see Jesus, who's going to be raised up among his brethren as the ultimate supreme on a cosmic spiritual level, every knee will bow to Jesus. Joseph is a Christ type. 
Okay, there's a lot of parallel between Joseph and Jesus that I don't have time to get into. But within this dream, it's not just wheat this time. Now there's stars, celestial bodies, which you can liken to the sons of God and the spiritual angelic beings, not bowing down to Joseph, but bowing down to Jesus, who is the greater Joseph, who has more authority, right? And descends even lower than Joseph did and goes even higher than Joseph did. And so within Joseph's life and his dreams, we see Jesus uh, paralleled quite a bit. And so this dream, there's a little more detail now uh, because now it's celestial bodies and just, not just wheats of the earth, but like Joseph's actually going to be appointed by God uh, <clears throat> in that sense. There's almost, uh, I guess, a cosmic supernatural backing to Joseph being appointed to the authority he has. It, it'll be God um, who's appointing him to that. Now, God is showing Joseph what's awaiting him in the future. God gives him a glimpse of what he can expect and what is to come. It's not a warning necessarily. There's no clear, hey, Joseph, your brothers are going to try and stab you in the back. I want you to hide in the bush and shoot him, shoot at him with a bow. There's no nothing like that. Just God shows Joseph what is to come, not just for Joseph's life, whether Joseph knows it or not, but also ultimately pointing to Christ. And Joseph just knows that there's something to this, that eventually this, there's some kind of authority rule he's going to have that his brothers will respect and honor. So this is insight into Joseph's future. Okay, I don't think we can build a case yet that dreams are mostly about our future. Um, Abraham is told what's going to happen in his future and the future of his descendants. Um, Jacob is told what's going to happen in his, his future for his descendants. Um, uh, Joseph is told, but <clears throat> at the end of the day, not every dream is God speaking to me. Not every dream, if God is speaking to me, is about the future. Um, so we'll get to Joseph, you know, Pharaoh's dreams and Daniel's dreams. Let me take you to the cupbearer's dreams and the baker's dream in Genesis chapter 40. Um, this is helpful. One night, Joseph's in prison with the baker and the cupbearer. They both have dreams. Um, each dream had its own interpretation. Joseph comes in. They're sad. And he goes, why so sad? And they go, well, we had dreams and no one can interpret them. Ugh. And Joseph goes, hey, guys, let's not be sad. Interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me. I love that. Interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me. Uh, Joseph takes initiative while leaning on and trusting God as the ultimate authority for any interpretation and going, he's the one who gives it, but I'll play my role and take initiative in being a part of that. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said, well, in my dream, there was a vine. On the vine, there were three branches as soon as it budded. And this can also be a foreshadowing of Jesus as well, the three days. Um, it budded, the clusters ripened, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said, ah, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Think of Jesus, three days in the grave. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. Hmm, sounds like Jesus being brought up from the grave and restored to the place he left when he came down into, into the earth. Um, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Just remember me when it goes well with you, okay? Be kind to me, let Pharaoh know to get me out of this house. I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and I've done nothing to be here. The chief baker goes, 
Oh, that was a good interpretation. Can I tell you my dream? Right? Joseph goes, sure. Well, there were three cake baskets on my head and in the uppermost, all sorts of baked food. The birds were pecking at it and eating it out of the basket. And Joseph goes, mm. this is awkward. Uh, <gasps> Here's the interpretation. In three days, Pharaoh's going to take your head off your body and hang you on a tree. The birds are going to eat your flesh. Not every interpretation is favorable. I don't think any of us were under that delusion and misunderstanding, right? I mean, you, I mean, you gotta hear this. Like the 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 the, the cupbearer's going, that was awesome. The baker's going, that was a really good interpretation. Joseph, my turn. And Joseph goes, Oh dear Lord, I, I don't know how to. You're gonna die in three days. Birds are gonna eat your flesh. All right, have a good day. On the third day, this had, you know this ends up happening. Chief cupbearer is restored. The head of the bakers lopped off his body. And unfortunately, the cupbearer forgot Joseph, right? So what's interesting about this is God shows the baker and the cupbearer what their future is. Um, and then we go, why, why would God give them these dreams? Well, it's to validate and elevate Joseph, which is a reflection back unto God. So when Joseph, who represents God, is exalted and elevated, so is the name of God. This is, God is strategically positioning Joseph, not just to care for his, his family and feed them and, and preserve the promised seed, right? But also, it, it, it elevates the name of God. It exalts his reputation in the, the nation of Egypt, right? So there's a lot that goes on behind this. Um, there, there's clarity and direction for the cupbearer and the, the baker, um, it proves and validates Joseph so that one day he can interpret Pharaoh's dream. It positions Joseph for power to care, care for his family and to distribute. And it also, again, exalts the name of God. And that's the, that's the one key uh, commonality between every dream God gives. It exalts his name. It elevates his glory. Not that he can become more glorious, right? But he is given more rightful glory and honor. His reputation grows Right? His name and his renown expand through the earth through the, the, the dreams he gives people because he positions people to come and interpret or he does what he said he would. Um, and so Joseph's dreams play a role in that. And so, so far, we've seen that uh, some dreams are about the future. Three days from now, cupbearers, you know, restored. Baker dies. Some of the dreams are warning. Um, some of the dreams are direction. Like, hey, it's time to leave, or hey, stay here, um, or hey, Joseph, you're going to be elevated, right? It's a, it's a glimpse into the future. You wonder why God gave the dreams to Joseph. I think, number one, because he knew Joseph would share it, and that would cause the brothers to put Joseph in the situation he was in, which would send him to Egypt, so God could work with that. How else could God get him to Egypt? Probably a number of ways, but maybe this was the best way. Brought him to Egypt, elevated him. Now he can take care of his family and preserve the promised seed. So, you know, maybe also within that, God gives uh, Joseph a glimpse of what's to come to help him endure through the present. I think there's there's truth that rings within that, that God will give us a glimpse of our future with Christ in new creation, absolutely, to help us endure through the present trials. But also, uh, sometimes there are dreams that are, are actually, you know, revealing parts of our future experience here on earth. Um, and so I, I don't think 
we're to say God will always fill in the blank when he gives dreams, except he elevates and exalts his name and his reputation and his glory. And I don't think we can say God only speaks like, only does this when he gives a dream, fill in the blank. Well, he warns. He gives indication of the future. He gives direction. Um, he keeps people from doing the wrong thing. He confirms your steps and helps you make the right decisions. Maybe answers the prayer for direction you've been asking for, right? Um, and so dreams, while not the ultimate communication uh, method, right? We don't rely on dreams and go, I just want to hear from God. I'm going to sleep all day and just live off, you know, NyQuil. And God's going to speak to me all day. No, this is secondary. The primary way God speaks is through his son, through his word, right? Um, in creation. Creation is a witness and it testifies of God's glory. Literally tells us there is a God and he's awesome. And then God speaks through dreams and, and prophets and confirming words and visions. So dreams are not ultimate. For those that make dreams the ultimate uh, communication method of God, you're wrong in doing so. Um, but for those that say God will never speak in dreams, you're wrong in saying that as well. Um, lovingly. Okay. We're going to get to Pharaoh's dream. And I hope that this is helping you build an accurate understanding um, of what dreams are and how they work in our life. Um, so I'm going to encourage you guys, if you have not already, like this video so it reaches more people. Apparently YouTube goes, hey, people like this. Maybe more people will like it. So you liking it is a practical way to help get this content out and reach people with the gospel. Um, in the meantime, while you're doing that and you're spamming the like button, I'm going to go ahead and blow my nose real quick. I'm still sick. Get over it. I know I'm trying to. Um, and I'm going to go blow my nose real quick, okay? I'll be right back. God chose the leper when I went bed. Then God chose the die from the womb. Five, eight. God chose the leper when I went bed. Then God chose the die from the womb. Five, eight. God chose a leper, chose a leper. God chose a leper, chose a leper. God chose a leper. God chose a leper when I was bad. Then God chose to die for me. Boom, five, eight. God chose a leper. When I was bad, then God chose to die for me. Boom, five, eight. God chose a leper, chose a leper. God chose a leper, chose a leper. God chose a leper. Boom, five, eight. One thing I should mention is um, we're not drawing out applications from one-time occurrences, right? So we're not saying this happened one time, therefore God will do this a lot. We're saying actually at least more than three times God warns people in dreams. At least more than three times God 
directs the steps of a person and confirms their steps or gives them insight into their future um, <clears throat> because it's helpful for them to have that knowledge for whatever reason, okay? So, you know, as we move forward, when I say God will use dreams to do this, I'm not making a statement based off one occurrence. I'm saying this happens quite a bit based on, you know, what we have recorded in scripture. And so Genesis 41, uh, you know, Joseph is brought to the attention of Pharaoh. Pharaoh calls Joseph and he goes, hey, I had a dream. No one can interpret it. <clears throat> I heard you can interpret it. And Joseph goes, sorry, not in me. And Pharaoh goes, I'm just kidding. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Joseph lets him know the interpretation comes from God. That is one of the key takeaways for this is that the interpretation is never uh, based on a person's own way of thinking and their own personal ideas and what they think. God will use people to bring the interpretation if he pleases. God will use people to counsel you through figuring out and understanding what your dream means. But ultimately, the interpretation belongs to him. So I'm not running to people and going, you're a trusted source. Tell me. I'm saying, hey, I think I, tr I trust your counsel and your theology and your heart. And would you seek God with me because the interpretation belongs to him. And let's seek out this together. When it comes to dreams um, that require interpretation, God supplies the people to give the interpretation. Okay. That's what I want you to know. Sometimes the, the meaning is plain and it's clear and no interpretation required. Right. Other times. God will bring someone to interpret. Why? Well, so that you remember it's not you and God against the world. You actually are part of a global, timeless family of God. You're a part of something bigger than you. And you rely on more than just yourself. Not just the people of God, uh, not just God, but also what he supplies through his people. Right? So it, it, it promotes unity. It promotes love. It promotes this codependence where we're leaning on God together and we're, we're arm in arm, not thinking I'm a lone ranger. Right? Um, yeah. Okay. So Pharaoh's dream, uh, Pharaoh goes, okay. In my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile, seven cows, plump and attractive came up out of the Nile, fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly. I've never seen anything so ugly in the land of Egypt. <laughs> the thin, ugly cows ate up the first, uh, seven plump cows. But when they ate, uh, eaten them, no one would have known they had eaten them. They were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. And I also saw in my dream, a uh, second dream, seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears <clears throat> swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians. There was no one who could explain it to me. What do you say, Joseph? Well, Joseph says the dreams of Pharaoh are one, just like Joseph's dreams were one as well. Two dreams, one interpretation for both Pharaoh and Joseph. Okay. Sometimes there's that extra confirm, confirming measure that God will give a secondary confirming dream. Same idea communicated a different way to bring a depth of understanding. Okay. So God reveals to Pharaoh, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. And God has done that with um, Abraham. God has done that with Jacob so far. God has done that with Joseph in his life. Now God is um, doing that with Pharaoh. 
Now, when we get into the whole symbology, like when I have a dream, what does the computer represent? I don't think there's a chart we can build. You know what I mean? If anyone who goes, hey, look, here's a chart of everything that symbolically correlates to these ideas and dreams. I don't know, man, I would be hesitant. There are some things that are explicitly clear, like, <clears throat> I don't know, the symbology that scripture clearly communicates, where Jesus is communicated as, um, you know, the, the lion of Judah. And so you go, okay, a lion's always representative of Christ. Well, the devil's also communicated as a, a prowling lion. Can't really hurt you if you're in Christ and touch your soul, right? But he's roaring and trying to look for someone to devour. So you're like, okay, does it... Is a lion Satan or is it Jesus? So I don't think there's like this clear, everyone wants a glossary, right? They're like, ah, I dreamt about a hippopotamus jumping on a trampoline. And, and then that hippopotamus like walked on two legs and punched my mama. And I'm just trying to figure out, is punching like metaphorical for like delivering the gospel? So I, there's no glossary we can develop. Anyone who says they've developed something like that, I'd be hesitant. There are some, again, symbols in scripture that are like, when scripture communicates an idea or a, or, or a symbol as explicitly metaphorical and it assigns a definition, sure. Like the sword of the spirit. So a sword can be indicative of the word of God, right? Um, <clears throat> bread. Bread is symbolic of the life Christ gives. He's the bread of life. Um, water. Water is indicative and symbolic of what brings life and flourishing and abundance. And Jesus gives us um, rivers of living water. Okay, they pour out of us. So there are some things, some, okay, that you can look throughout scripture and go, most often this image or this symbol is associated with fill in the blank. That does not mean guaranteed, therefore, in my dream, it means this, but it gives you some kind of direction and it gives you something to, a standard to help begin to discern your dreams. Okay, so for those of you that came on here and you're like, I'm just waiting for the glossary, bro. Not giving it to you because no one can develop such a thing. What we can do is potentially put together a, a very small list of symbolic images that most often in scripture will mean this. But that doesn't mean every time you see it in your dreams, it definitely means that too. It's just most often that symbolic imagery will be this in scripture. So, sorry, no glossary today, guys, but Joseph interprets the dream. Otherwise, you'll walk away from this and go, every time I dream about cows, it's talking about years. Every time I see a stock of corn or wheat in my dream, it's talking about, that represents one year. We, we can't draw that out of one occurrence. It's not a good way of, it's not a good hermeneutic, which is a way of reading and interpreting scripture. But J Joseph says, hey, the, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's dreams are one. Uh, seven good cows are seven years, right? Seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one, right? <clears throat> These seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears, blighted by the east wind, are also seven years. As I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Okay, God is letting Pharaoh know what he's about to do. And you go, why Pharaoh? Well, because insert Joseph, who's going to be elevated to power and take care of his family by Pharaoh appointing him after having the dream. So sometimes the dream God gives to someone is less about the person, right? And more about what he's doing around that person and through the people who bring confirming interpretations to that dream. Uh, we assume every dream I have is about me. Sometimes God will show you things 
um, that need to be confirmed by other people and are more about what's happening around you, not directly in your life. So we have to disconnect this weird from this weird idea that says every dream I have that's going to be from God is going to directly affect and be about me as the center focus. It's not. In fact, Pharaoh's dreams, Abimelech's dream, Abimelech's different. Pharaoh's dreams, Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, Daniel's dreams aren't even like um, mostly a for or about them. It's about the nation they serve. It's about the kingdoms coming after them. It's about the people that will be, you know, when they're long gone. Um, but God will give these for certain purposes. So Joseph interprets seven years of great plenty throughout the land of Egypt. And then seven years of famine. <clears throat> famine will consume the land. Just like the small, ugly cows and ears ate the good ones. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means it's fixed by God. Joseph now, I don't, I don't know if we can shove this in a glossary and go, double the dream, double the establishment. But Joseph does read Pharaoh's dream as that. And Joseph does have two dreams that confirm the same thing. So maybe you can start to develop some kind of case that says, when I have um, two dreams that seem to be about the same thing, maybe there's some extra confirmation coming. And, and again, maybe. People hate that we, some things have to be speculated about and you can't know for sure. Uh, for those of you that are like, it's black or white, you can know it or you can't. Eh, can you though? Can you say that about everything in life? So I think prophecy, dreaming, and vision should be held to that same standard. There are some details we don't know and some things that aren't always definitively the same. Is God saying, when I double a dream, that means it's fixed by God? Or is Joseph saying, in this scenario, Pharaoh, the fact that it's twice means it's extra fixed by God. Both can be true. We're just not entirely sure. God will shortly bring it about. Okay? And then he goes and tells Pharaoh what he should do. And I think you should appoint overseers. And, let, and, you know, I think you should store up. Now, what's interesting is God shows <clears throat> Joseph and Pharaoh uh, what he's going to do. Okay? So Joseph gives the interpretation. Pharaoh gets the dream, right? Here's what Joseph doesn't say, though. Joseph does not say, hey, thus saith the Lord, select a discerning and wise man. Maybe that was part of the interpretation. Maybe God dis did say that and Joseph didn't explicitly clarify. God is also saying that what you should do, but what is said is, now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning man. This seems to be Joseph's own wisdom and discernment, which, of course, is a gift from God. But this is Joseph reasoning through here with the wisdom and discernment God has given him to come to a right conclusion and decision about this. And he's going, look, um, you should select a discerning wise man, appoint overseers, you know, store up for the, for the bad years that are coming. Uh, no matter what, we can say ultimately the source of that wisdom is from God. But was that explicitly stated by God in the interpretation to Joseph? I don't know. I don't know. We have another example in Acts where um, Agabus stands up and goes, there's going to be a famine and the disciples determine not without counsel from God, not without praying, but they determine by their own reasoning, by their own decision-making processes and the mind God gave them, they conclude we should get help and support for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They come to that conclusion, um, apart from the vision itself. So sometimes, yes, God gives the dream, 
and the vision, and we've already clarified this in the first episode, and there won't, sometimes God will give that vision or, or, or dream or interpretation without the clear, so here's what you should do. Because he's given you a mind to reason through and discern and know his will and consult him for that. Not only the interpretation belongs to God, not only the vision and the dream belongs to God when he speaks, but also I believe the appropriate steps forward are also going to belong to him so we should seek him in that manner too. And um, everything in between. Uh, this really ruffles feathers. I get that. People don't like this. It really pushes against their theology. I'm just trying to be as truthful as I can, looking at scripture objectively and how often something occurs, okay? And the frequency of it from Genesis to Revelation, got Pharaoh's dreams. Now let me take you to uh, Gideon. Gideon's about to go up against the Midianite army. The, one of the Midianites receives a dream. Gideon goes down. He ends up hearing the dream. And he's, he's eavesdropping, going, oh. Midianite comes, tells another Midianite, I dreamed a dream. There was a cake of barley bread, tumbled into the camp of Midian, Midian, came to the tent, struck it, it fell, flattened it, and his comrade answers, this is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. So does that mean every time I dream about a cake of barley bread, it's referring to Gideon's sword and his army? No. That's just what this interpretation was. That's the symbolic imagery behind these images. Okay. God has given it into his hand, Midian, uh, and the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream, which came from one person, and its interpretation, which came from another, he worshipped. We've already established this. Does God always give the interpretation to the same person who received the dream? Not necessarily. Most often, uh, as we've seen with J Joseph and the cupbearer and the baker and Pharaoh and even these Midianites, um, and we'll see with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, the interpretation is given by someone else. Otherwise, you're a one-man wrecking crew getting the dreams and the interpretations and you need nobody else. And people don't like that. People, for some reason, when people hear that, sorry, when God gives a dream, he doesn't always give you the interpretation. He'll use someone else to bring it. When people hear that, for some reason, they get very frustrated. And it's because they think God is giving an incomplete data. No, he's giving you what you need to know so that someone else can fill in the gaps and we work together as the church. Otherwise, again, you're just a one-man wrecking crew, a lone wolf, lone ranger in Christianity, me and God against the world, pew, pew, I got the interpretation, I got the dream, I don't need anyone else. And it promotes pride, it promotes individuality, and it keeps you from the rest of the church, whereas what God does is he promotes unity and dependency on each other and life and abundance by giving interpretation to one, dream to the other. That happens quite a bit. Now, when dreams are very clear-cut and very straightforward, right? sometimes there's no interpretation needed. And it's like, well, God straight up came to me, okay? And said, Jason, uh, stop being prideful. Right? I don't have to go, hey guys, I really need an interpretation. God's like, really? Come on, bro. You know, King Saul, I've never heard anyone bring this up before. King Saul seems to at least have had one dream prophetically. So God has kind of distanced himself from Saul because Saul left the Lord. Saul inquires of God. 
Um, he sees the army of the Philistines. He's terrified. He's trembling in his heart. Saul comes to God and goes, I don't know what to do. Lord, help me. Right? And Saul's looking at the army. Saul inquires. The Lord didn't answer him. What's up, John? One day, that man in the comments, he's going to come to my house. We're going to hang out. Right, John? So Saul inquires. Guess what the Lord does not do? The Lord doesn't answer him. Watch how he clarifies, at least the author of 1 Samuel. The Lord didn't answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Why would he state that? Why would he list the specifics of how God chose not to answer Saul? Because if you scroll down to verse 15, Samuel comes to Saul after, well, he conjures up through the witch at Endor. Saul consults a medium. Something's happening here. Samuel comes up and goes, Saul, what the heck, man? Why, why did you bring me up? And Saul goes, I'm in great distress. The Philistines are warring against me and God's turned away from me. He doesn't answer me anymore, either by prophets or by dreams. That's why I've compromised and come to the witch at Endor. So Saul, by his own admission, admits God used to speak prophetically through prophets and by dreams, we don't know how much, we don't know how often, we don't know how frequently, but the point is Saul used to receive consultation, wisdom, direction, guidance from God, not just through the prophetic voices around him, but also by dreams and, and by Urim, right? The Lord didn't answer him. Why make this list if God has never prior to that ever talked to Saul in that capacity? So if I go, um, you know, my wife doesn't hang out with me anymore. We don't go to outer space. We don't go to Mars. We don't go to the ocean. I'm not going to give you a list of things we've never done. I'm going to give you a list of things that used to happen that she doesn't do anymore with me. That's what's happening with Saul. The Lord doesn't speak anymore by dreams, by Urim, by prophets. So guess what? Saul has at least one time received prophetic revelation from dreams and by prophets. Notice there's never just one strict communication method God works with. When, if, you, if prophets were sufficient, then forget dreams, God. Move on. Just do the prophets, right? If prophets were enough, uh, then that eliminates the need for the priest to teach Torah. Because God is speaking through the Torah and, and declaring his character and his, his word through the priest, teaching the people. Or how about God talking to Balaam in Numbers? And you're like, where'd that guy come from? Why, why is God talking to a Gentile from Moab? Aren't you working with the people of Israel? And God's going, I don't believe at any point in human history we can restrict God to only one method of communication. It biblically, hermeneutically, doesn't make sense to do that. There's prophets, there's dreams, there's visions, there's Urim, there's direct Moses receiving direct revelation from God. There's the word of God. There's creation testifying. There's my conscience testifying the moral standard of God. There's all these different mediums that God will communicate through. And for some reason, for some really weird reason, I, I, people who I talk to who go, the gifts are done, will go, yes. We understand that prior to the completion of the Bible, God always spoke 
or never spoke in just one limited capacity. But now that the scripture's here, it is only the word of God. And I go, where's your biblical... I already established two episodes ago that none of the scriptures people use for that argumentation actually hold that argument up. So, I'm just saying God is silent in these communication methods that Saul is most familiar with. It's kind of shut it off. Okay? God comes to Solomon in a dream. We all know that. Gosh, this is taking way longer than I thought. I apologize. We should have been farther by now. Baloney. God comes to Solomon in a dream. Ask whatever you want. Okay? God ends up giving him wisdom because Solomon asked for wisdom and understanding to rule the people. So guess what? What God does in the dream affected reality. And I don't think we can build some definitive, you know, theology around that at all, but we can at least say God can affect reality through the dream state. Meaning what was going on in Solomon's dream was actually happening in real life. God who is granting wisdom and understanding and discernment that, of course, won't be exercised until the opportunity arises. But nonetheless, God gives it to him in the dream. And in real life, when Solomon wakes up, he does have the wisdom and the understanding mind that he prayed for. So God could have come by a prophet and said, Hey, Solomon, thus saith the Lord. God could have brought a vision in the day to Solomon and said, Hey, here I am, anything you want. Or through some other means, like Solomon going to the tabernacle and bringing animal sacrifice and worshiping God. And then a similar thing that happened to Zechariah and Luke happens to him. God could have done that. But God gives wisdom to Solomon, not just the opportunity to have wisdom, but he actually gives wisdom in a dream. Um, God gives Timothy a gift through the prophecy and the laying on of hands from the elders. So, so prophecy whether dream, whether vision, or whether this audible voice, that kind of face-to-face -face Moses thing had going on, whether whatever the, the, the specific category of prophecy, God can distribute things through the methodology of prophecy. He can actually affect reality, uh, and dreams are a part of that. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, okay? I have a dream, I have a dream. Daniel 2, second year of Nebuchadnezzar. Guess who has a dream? King Nebi. Troubled spirit, couldn't sleep. King commands, everyone had a dream. Come figure it out. No one can. Okay, I'm going to kill y'all. All, all of the sorcerers, all the magicians, all the wise men. I'm going to kill you all if you can't figure out this dream for me. Oh gosh, the news reaches Daniel's ears. Daniel ends up hearing about this and he goes well <clears throat> um, if no one can tell me the dream or the interpretation King Nebi says I'm gonna kill you all and Daniel um, where is it you've agreed the king was angry decree went out Daniel comes aha Daniel went to his house and he prays he grabs his three buddies and he goes, hey, let's seek mercy from God about this mystery so that we're not destroyed, okay? Then after prayer and seeking mercy collectively, the mystery is revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. 
So the same way the dream came in the night is the same way the interpretation came in the night. God reveals mysteries. I'm not saying this is a frequent way that God works. God only reveals mystery in the nighttime, right? But when you read about these dreams, God is revealing mysteries, isn't he? So there's some truth to the, 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 the fact that God does often reveal mysteries in the night. And again, I, I think I told you because our, we're in that unconscious kind of state where all the stuff is turned off. There's no distractions, nothing to grab my attention and pull me from God. And he can grab me in that dream uh, where I'm focused and show me something that I really need to hear. So the mystery is revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And he blesses God, okay? And then the king, uh, Daniel comes to the king and he goes, can you make me, can you show me the dream and the interpretation? Daniel goes, no one can. Um, but there is a God in heaven who can reveal mysteries. And he's made known to you what's going to be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. So not only does God give Daniel the interpretation, he shows Daniel what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. That's the real test King Nebi was looking for. He's like, anyone can make up the interpretation. Tell me the dream. Then I'll know your interpretation is legit. No one can do that. Daniel consults God with his buddies. God shows him the dream and the interpretation. He goes and tells King Nebi, reveals the mysteries, and it's actually about the latter days. Why did God choose to show King Nebuchadnezzar what's going to happen in the latter days? So that insert Daniel, boop, Daniel can come in as a representative of the kingdom of the true God. And in giving the interpretation, the name of God is exalted. The reputation of God grows in the empire of Babylon. People will know that he is the true and living God through Daniel interpreting vision and dreams. And God validates Daniel and exalts him. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom I have, no, but so that the interpretation can be made known to the king. You can know the thoughts of your mind. Now, what's interesting here is, if you scroll up, it says, um, uh, where is it? The dream, the dream, the interpretation, the dream, visions of the night. Where is it? <clears throat> Word for me, the dream, the dream, the dream, the dream, the dream. History, vision of the night. Uh, sorry, don't look at the screen, it'll make you sick. Okay. Well, he said, you saw, O king, a great image, this image mighty, um, and of exceeding brightness stood before you. Its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest, arms of silver, its middle, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet partly of iron, partly of clay. As you looked, there was a stone cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. The wind just blew them away. Not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And here's the interpretation. You, O king, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, into whose hand he's given, wherever the children dwell, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You're the head of gold. 
Does that mean every time I have dreams about gold, is it about me and my empire? No. That's why I said it. You can't really develop a glossary of this stuff, but gold will be symbolic of certain things in Scripture. It will have uh, metaphorical usage and symbolic, uh, you know, reasons behind it, okay? Um, but he'll go on to talk about how this is the meaning of the dreams and such, and this is the clay, and these are the kingdoms. And I want to take you to Daniel 4, because this is where uh, Daniel has, or King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Oh, here it is. Nebuchadnezzar was at ease. Um, I was at ease in my house, prospering. I saw a dream. As I lay in bed, the fancies and visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree all the wise men should be brought. They couldn't tell me what it meant. And finally, Daniel came. Ah, oh, Daniel, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, Hey, I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream, and tell me their interpretation. What's interesting is, so far, when Nebuchadnezzar, when Pharaoh, when the chief baker, when the cupbearer has a dream that is significant, they're aware of it. They don't know the interpretation. They don't know what it means, but there's a, there's a greater urgency, uh, significance, weight to that dream that they feel. And they, they go with that. They lean into it and go, this felt different. Like we have dreams and a lot, but this dream, and they'll inform people, I had a dream and it bothered me. It alarmed me. It weighed on me. It, it just kept me awake. And I'm not saying that is how you gauge whether a dream is from God, but... Sometimes when the dream does have this kind of weight, extra significance, can't get out of your mind, maybe you should lean into that and at least consult God in prayer and consult people that you trust to pray for the interpretation with you. Instead of just going, ah, probably just bad cheese. Probably shouldn't have had cottage cheese and ice cream for dinner. You should actually lean into that and go, there's a sense of this feels different. I don't live by feelings. I don't gauge my life by senses, right? My feelings don't rule my life. But sometimes God does guide our feelings and actually leads us through that. So lean into it. That's my encouragement. That's what I see Nebuchadnezzar doing. That's what I see Pharaoh doing. That's what I see Jacob doing when God comes to him. Obviously, it's from God because he says, hello, it's me, God. Look at this ladder. Uh, or, or Laban, hello, it's me, God. Or Joseph's dreams. Joseph doesn't uh, say, God told me, or God showed up in a dream. He just says what he dreamed. And he shares it because it was significant, right? And so does Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and the Midianites in Gideon, in, when they're going against Gideon. They share the dream. They don't share, it doesn't seem like every biblical character shares every dream they have. It just seems like because the baker and the cupbearer are a good example. They're like really downcast. And Joseph goes, what's wrong? Like he notices a visible difference in their demeanor. And they go, well, I had a dream. I just don't know what it means. It weighed on them. There was, an, there was a, a weight to it. There was a different feel to it than just your typical dream. And I, and I know we've all had that. And I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord, for sure God is speaking to you. But I am saying, at least discern it. At least be open at least, you know, lean into that a little bit and consult God to say, this is definitely nothing or this is God leading me. The worst that can happen is it's nothing. Um, or you'll be like the baker and God will be like, well, in three days, your head's going to be lopped off your body. 
Probably won't happen though. Just hopefully. <laughs> um, but Daniel chapter four, uh, Nebi has another dream. He said, I saw a tree. Oh, trees can have symbolic meaning behind it. Uh, but in this case, his tree, this tree represents his kingdom. Its height was great, or him and his kingdom. The tree grew, became strong. Its top reached to heaven. Think of the Tower of Babel, man-made kingdoms trying to get to God. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit was abundant. And in it was food for everyone. Beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in its branches. All the flesh fed from it. Um, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed a watcher. But you're like, hold on, where the heck did a watcher come from? This is unique to Daniel's book. And if you read Enoch. Don't want to get into it. A watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud. Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit. How did Nebuchadnezzar recognize and know this was a holy watcher? He must have had a category for that, right? Um, must be educated in that have some kind of knowledge of what a watcher or holy one is to recognize it. Let the beast flee from under it, the birds from its branches, leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Sometimes in dreams, God makes himself evident. And it'll be about God. Thus saith the Lord, I'm God, I'm a messenger from God saying this. Other times it's Pharaoh just looking at small cows eating fat cows going, this doesn't sit right. I feel like this is something I should get consultation on. Right? So there's not this like, well, you'll know it's of God. If God explicitly makes himself known in dreams, he doesn't always. That doesn't mean it's not from God. If there's no clear, explicit statement from, this is God telling you, this is a dream. I'm telling you to get up off your butt and actually get a job. Sometimes a dream from God will, like the book of Esther, have no uh, involved, uh, clear, explicit evidence of God. You know what I mean? Esther, that you won't find God in that in, like, explicitly and clearly. Um, but he's behind the scenes doing all the stuff. So uh, sometimes dreams are like that, apparently. Uh, so tell me the interpretation if you're able. Because I know you're able to. Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you. Daniel was dismayed. He was alarmed. Nebuchadnezzar goes, don't let it alarm you, buddy. Oh, my, my Lord, the dream, it's for those who hate you. Its interpretation is for your enemies. Did you catch that? Nebuchadnezzar receives a dream that has a favorable interpretation for his enemies, not for him. The tree that you saw, remember I said not every dream is favorable in its interpretation and meaning. Not every dream is about you specifically, but... Nebuchadnezzar here has a dream that's about him, and he's not going, yay, it's about me. He's going, bummer, this is about me. My enemies are going to rejoice about this. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, it was visible to the end of the whole earth. 
Its leaves are beautiful and its fruit, food, all the, you know, branches, birds coming under it. That's you. You've become strong. You've grown. Sometimes, I guess, in dreams, uh, different images, pictures can be symbols of people like you. And the only way you interpret and come to that conclusion is by consulting God. Daniel didn't just go, I had the interpretation. I've thought, of, thought long and hard about this. He consults God no matter what. Like Job says, the, or like Joseph says, the interpretation belongs to God. Okay? This is not like me conjuring up some interpretation based on my own feelings and senses. If a person does not consult God and pray and actually lean on him for understanding and they give you an interpretation... I would be very hesitant to receive that. I'd go, hold on, your own mind came up with this? Like, this is just the result of your, your reasoning and thinking? You didn't even consult God? That's a red flag for me. I don't really want to hear what you have to say until you've consulted God truly. Everyone is going to consult God, okay, for the actual interpretation. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher coming down from heaven saying, chop it down, but leave the stumps, the stump of its roots in the earth. Well, uh, he'll go on. This is the interpretation. It's a decree of the most high. It's come upon you. You'll be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. In other words, you're going to be an animal. You'll be made to eat grass like an ox. You'll, you'll be wet with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. As it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots, your kingdom will be confirmed for you from the time that you know heaven rules. King Nebi's grown prideful and arrogant. After this, he's going to remain rebellious. He's going to remain prideful. And he's going to lose his mind, literally, um, some kind of mental disability. And he just turns animalistic. And his nails will grow as long as talons, eagle talons. Like he be, The hair on his back grows to the point where it's like a robe now. Like my guy is going full werewolf out there in the wilderness. And this is the judgment upon him for his pride. And the reason it comes upon him is because he does not believe and know the Most High is ruler. He thinks he's the ruler. So this is both a warning for Nebi to change, but also, should he not? It's telling him what will happen should he remain in obstinate pride. So, lots of dreams are warning in nature. Like this dream, okay, given to King Nebuchadnezzar. Like the second dream in Daniel 2. Like letting King Nebi know this kingdom you have is not going to last forever. Um, just letting you know. Or uh, Gideon's enemies, God lets the Midianites know Gideon's going to come in and wipe the floor with you guys. Or like Pharaoh's warned of the famine, right? Or Joseph is, um, uh, uh, the, the cupbearer and the baker are, are warned of what's coming. Um, or Laban, he's warned not to, uh, you know, treat Jacob poorly because God defends him or Abimelech he's warned not to sleep with Sarah lots of warnings okay I was going to read Daniel 7 but we just out of time go read Daniel 7 um, just like when Daniel interprets other dreams for Nebuchadnezzar he asks God for understanding so Daniel personally receives a vision in a dream 
He personally receives it, and he's not given the interpretation. Even though he's given the dream, you think, well, of course, Daniel's going to get the interpretation. He doesn't. He still has to ask for the interpretation from another. Um, I think from an angelic being or whoever ends up being in the vision. And so the dream he receives in Daniel 7, it's about the future of the world and the empires that are in power, not just about Israel, but the future of the world kingdoms. It's going to start with a lion with eagles, <clears throat> wings, then a bear, then a leopard, and then a fourth beast. And it's those beasts are symbolic of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, Cyrus the Great and the Medo-Persian Empire, um, Alexander the Great in Greece, and then ultimately the Roman Empire, which will take over. And so Daniel sees these things. How does it affect Daniel to know what's going to happen when he's dead? Um, not entirely sure. Maybe he can pray in that direction or warn other people and pass it down. Or This is confirming God's word. Like when people go, how do you know that's the word of God? Because it's prophetic. Because the word of God declares through people like Daniel and other prophets what will happen and then it happens. So some of these prophecies or dreams are given to validate um, the word, the kingdom, and, and the God of Israel among other nations. Like God is making his name known by giving a prophecy and then conf and then doing it like he told his prophet he would. Um, and so, yeah. Lots of warnings. I'm just saying, there's, there's a, there's a, 85% of the dreams you come across in the Old Testament are warnings. Matthew chapter 1 verse 20, Joseph, the husband of Mary, heard that Mary's pregnant. She said, it's this, she said God got me pregnant. Joseph goes, <laughs> ah, how do I divorce this woman? So he's considering these things. And an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. Why? Well, to confirm what Mary said. To warn Joseph not to go through with what he's thinking about. Right? He's thinking, I'll divorce her quietly. I won't make a ruckus. I'll be honorable. And then God intervenes and goes, don't. How? In a dream, he warns Joseph. Joseph, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. The Spirit of God really has conceived something in her. She'll bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. So not just warning, but there's direction. He tells, you know, the physical father who's going to care for Jesus. Um, he tells Joseph, hey, here's what you're going to call my son. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord spoke by the prophet Isaiah. Um, chapter 7. The virgin shall conceive, bear a son. They'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took his wife. He didn't know her sexually until he, she had given birth to Jesus. And he called his name Jesus. So there's direction in this and there's warning. But notice how the dreams come on the heel. The dream comes on the heels of Joseph considering what he's to do. Sometimes the best thing we can do is not make a rash decision and don't be impulsive, but consider the decision you're making, weigh it, pray about it, sleep on it, and give God the opportunity to potentially intervene in a dream and give you clarity on the decision you're making. He's done that over and over in the Old Testament for people. Now, Joseph, this won't be the first time he's visited um, with a word from God in a dream. Well, when the wise men uh, bring gifts to Jesus, 
Uh, they're also warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Because Herod's all deceitful and like, I want to see Jesus. And they're like, okay, we'll tell you where he is. And then God intervenes and goes, don't go back to Herod, trust me. So they left by a different way to their own country. God warns them not to go back to Herod. Okay, when they departed, an angel of the Lord departed, appeared to Joseph in a dream. Here's another dream, okay? <clears throat> Rise, take the child, his mother, flee to Egypt, remain there until I tell you, Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph did that and he fulfilled prophecy. So this dream guides Joseph, helps him make the right decision, warns him of a threat, helps him avoid that danger, and also fulfills prophecy and preserves the Messiah. So many purposes behind this dream, okay? But Joseph gets a lot of dreams. Go on. Herod, he ends up killing the babies under two in Bethlehem. Herod dies, and an angel of the Lord appears in the Joseph in a dream again. And says, hey, take the child and his mother, go, go to the land of Israel. Herod's dead now. So he did. He did. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go. So he was afraid. That's what it started with. Joseph is thinking through this, logically, going, well, Archelaus might be like his dad and seek out Jesus, the young boy. And there's a, there's a fear. And God confirms that suspicion in a dream. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So God warns him again, yeah, go to the district of Galilee, live in Nazareth. That way Jesus will be called a Nazarene. So, I mean, Joseph gets quite a few dreams, doesn't he? Does that make him a prophet? I don't necessarily see any reason why we would have to label him a prophet. I think this is a very unique scenario with the Son of God that doesn't happen a lot. And so God's going to get his work done, preserve his son, and intervene the way he wants. And guess what he chooses? Dreams. Dreams. He warns Joseph. He warns the wise men. He tells Joseph, you can take Mary. It's cool. The baby's really from me. Matthew 27, 19, Pilate's wife comes up to Pilate while he's, um, while Jesus is on trial, right? And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him. And here's what she says to Pilate, have nothing to do with that righteous man. I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. First of all, the girl's napping midday just because you have that much money and power. You just sleep all day. Second, in a dream, she, she says she suffers much, whatever that means. Because of him, her conclusion is, Pilate, we should have nothing to do with him. This was actually, this seems like a warning. Like a legitimate Pilate, you don't want to play a role in this. You do not want to have your hand in this. You should disconnect from this entirely. Have nothing to do with him. Pilate doesn't listen. Was this a legitimate warning and God was giving Pilate the out? Or would God have found another way to send his son to the cross? We don't know. Pilate played a role in that. He didn't consider what his wife said. But she did have a dream that she goes, the conclusion for me is that you should have nothing to do with him. How did she come to that conclusion? What was the dream about? We don't know. But in a dream, she is made aware there's something about Jesus and we should not be doing what we're doing. 
Um, I want to give you some general guidelines for dreams. So those are all the dreams that I thought were worth noting in scripture. Okay. Um, Abraham's dream, Abimelech's dream, Jacob's dream, Laban's dream, uh, Joseph's dream, Pharaoh's dreams, Gideon, the Midianites, the cupbearer, uh, Baker, King Saul has dreams, King Solomon, King Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, Daniel's dreams, uh, Joseph, the husband of Mary's dreams, <coughs> and Pilate's wife. Now, technically in Acts, Paul is warned or told in a vision of the night. We'll get to visions on, on Monday, okay? Whether that qualifies as a dream or not, not sure, but I put it under the category of visions, so we'll visit that when we get there. But here's the practical guidelines and, and, and more instructive things for dreams, okay? We've done a survey. We've looked at all the different dreams. We've broken them down, pieced together some similarities, right? Tried to draw out some, hey, it seems like God does this quite a bit, and when he does give a dream, and okay, so... Um, hopefully you paid attention to that. Uh, we, we know this, as I've explicitly already said, Genesis 40 verse 8, okay? Interpretations belong to God. The assumption there is that there will be dreams that God gives that only God can give you the meaning of. And if you look for the meaning outside of him, you probably won't get it. <clears throat> and if you assume every dream is from God, you're not discerning. And if you believe no dream is from God, you're lovingly ignorant of what Scripture actually teaches. Um, so, as I showed you in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, God makes himself known in dreams. Joel and Acts chapter 2 confirm that part of the spirit indwelling believers is that that will become, however frequent, to whatever degree, the dreams and the visions will be, and the prophetic words uh, will be a part of a Christian's experience this life, this side of heaven. Maybe you'll have one dream. Maybe you'll have two visions. Maybe you'll have a couple of you know, words from the Spirit. I don't get to tell you or decide how much God speaks to you. Okay, Just that that is a part of the Christian experience. And it's not just for those gifted with prophecy that had dreams and visions or some prophetic insight sometime by the Spirit. Again, we've already established that you don't have to be a prophet to have dreams from God, visions from God, or even have um, uh, like a word from the Spirit. You, that doesn't make you a prophet. Uh, I think prophets are going to be higher frequency, higher discernment, more often, more attuned for it. Just that's their calling. That's what they do. Uh, whereas for the average believer, these things will be supplementary and not the main focus of their calling uh, to declare the word of the Lord in that capacity. Deuteronomy 13 warns us against dreamers of dreams. At least that's what it seems like. And I've had quite a few people post this verse. Comments, uh, messages, and they go, You know, brother, God warns against dreamer of dr dreamers of dreams. And I go, eh, does he? Does he though? Or is it a kind of dreamer? Okay, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, which by the way, pause. Prophet and dreamer of dreams are distinguished. Okay. The three categories of prophetic revelation 
we see in Numbers 12, Job uh, 33, and Acts 2 and Joel 2. The three categories of prophetic revelation apart from Scripture and Christ are going to be the actual words, prophetic words from, from God in the Spirit, dreams, and visions. Now, someone who dreams dreams, that seems to indicate that that's, for lack of a better term, that that's their specialty. That's their natural gifting is dreams and interpreting dreams like Daniel, like Joseph. Visions, however, um, someone who's gifted in seeing and, and, and interpreting visions, I would say someone like Paul, someone like um, who free, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and then prophets like the mouth-to-mouth, voice-to-voice kind of thing, Moses, seems like Samuel, seems like other, other prophets that God speaks in that capacity to. Of course, Jesus, the greatest prophet, not only a prophet, but yes, the greatest prophet there is. So there's three categories. A dreamer of dreams is a category of a prophet. Meaning, as we'll see tomorrow, or sorry, Monday, in the Old Testament, there are seers. They're called seers. And they're synonymous with prophets, but they're a kind of prophet. They specialize in vision, in seeing. Dreamer of dreams seems to be specializing in like the nighttime vision in their experiences when they're unconscious. Prophets, more like the spirit is speaking to me, like Agabus or, um, I don't know, someone like Paul. Spirit seems to speak a lot to Paul. Okay, so if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let's go after other gods, like you, like you casually do, which you've never known, and let's go serve them. Don't listen to the words of that prophet. Don't listen to the words of that prophet. Okay? Because what are they saying? They're saying, let's go worship false gods. Don't listen. Don't listen. Or that dreamer of dreams. The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And we'll address this in, in more depth, like the, the, the practical false prophet side of things. We'll address this when we get to false prophecy and false uh, prophets. Um, but for now, what I want to draw out, okay, is that God allows a dreamer of dreams to actually accurately um, have dreams and stuff. Watch. The Lord is testing you to know whether or not uh, you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind. Um, Jesus adds mind. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments, obey his voice and serve him, hold fast to him. What's the main point of this? Hey, this right here is the context is centralized around God. So regardless of prophecy, regardless of dreams, the point is anyone, even if they're prophets, even if they're dreamer of dreams that get it right and they predict the future right. Look right here, look, it says, if the sign or wonder comes to pass and they say, come follow false gods with us, you say, no, no. So the qualification for a true prophet, okay, is not just, did they get it right? Were they correct? Did their dream come to pass? Was it the right interpretation? Okay, that's not the only filter. It's where are they leading you? What are they telling you to do? 
after proving their prophetic powers, quote unquote, what are they telling you to do? They're telling you to worship false gods, stay away. It doesn't matter how right they were or how many they, they nailed down or how many signs or wonders they do. They're like legitimate, I told you I wouldn't get into this, there are legitimate false prophets who can do counterfeit signs, counterfeit wonders. We'll see that in Acts, okay? And he says, don't listen to them. That prophet shall be put to death because he is taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who redeemed you to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So purge the evil from your midst. Now, a lot of people have told me, hey, if a prophet gets it wrong, stone him. Is that what the text says? This is a prophet or a dreamer of dreams that gets it right. And you're not stoning them because they get it wrong or because they get it right. You're stoning them because they're teaching rebellion. In other words, they're using their supernatural ability to lead you into idolatry. They're validating that rebellion and going, see, I'm getting signs right and wonders and I interpreted that dream right and I, pro I told you what would happen in your future. Oh, I'm a seer, I'm a psychic. Let's go worship false gods. If that doesn't have new age written all over it, I don't know what does. It's a counterfeit. It's supernaturally fake. It's actually doing something and, and, and confounding people and they're impressed and then they're led into, hey, if you worship the gods I do, if you smoke the stuff I do, if you... Uh, Play with the Ouija board I do, you can have these powers too. And they lead you astray. So these people aren't stoned because they get it right or wrong. They're stoned and they're purged. They're removed from the congregation because they're teaching rebellion. Do you see it? So if any dream or any interpretation of a dream promotes this kind of rebellion, unbelief, sinfulness, justification of sin, moving me away from God and needing him less, leaning on myself more. You should probably discern through that a little more and really, really make sure, number one, the dream is from God and he's really talking to you. And number two, that the interpretation you receive from someone or from God is correct. A true dream from God and a true accurate interpretation will never lead you away from God, will actually magnify God in your mind and draw him uh, draw you to him and to his feet. That's one of the best ways. We'll talk about fruit when we get to false prophets. But I'm just warning people that there are filters we need to put on. We need to have standards for our dreams. Not everything is from God and not everything is right interpretation. The way I gauge that is, where is this leading me? What does this make me think about God? How does this affect my relationship with God and my faith and trust in him? Is it positive? Does it move me towards Jesus or away from him negatively? Okay, so um, there are prophets, you might say, who specialize in dreams, those who specialize in seeing visions. That's why they're called seers. That's why these are called dreamer of dreams. And then there's the prophets who are like, God will speak clearly, not in riddles to them. Okay, but there is a category for God speaking in riddles and the dreams are part of that category of God speaking in riddles so that someone else can come and, you know, uh, reveal the mystery and unveil the meaning. It's cryptic for a reason. So someone else can decode it and God is glorified in that. He is. So Job 33, 15, we already looked at why God gives dreams, right? 
It's to keep them on the right path, to warn them, to reassure them uh, if they're doing the right thing, to confirm a decision they're making. Um, Daniel 1.17 will tell us um, that Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. That was unique for Daniel. Um, so any kind of, anyone who is in more natural, like there, there are people whom God has gifted to be understanding in specifically visions and dreams. That's part of their role in the body. If someone has a dream and they're a trusted source, you can go to it. It doesn't mean they never get it wrong, right? But they're more trustworthy than any random source on the street. And so you can weigh what they say and you know their heart and their track record. Daniel's one of those people. Um, Daniel 5.12, it says, um, uh, Daniel, he has an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding to interpret dreams and explain riddles and solve problems. They were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belshazzar. And so Daniel is able to show the interpretation of dreams and understand dreams and explain riddles. This isn't like the Riddler going to Batman and being like, where's your wife? This is God giving a cryptic message in a riddle. If you guys don't think God speaks in that capacity, like, I apologize that you're not versed in scripture, but it actually teaches that God does speak in that capacity. And that's good because someone else has the interpretation and the, the meaning behind it. That's good that we learn to... Uh, lean on God and trust in Him and, and, and bring other people into our lives instead of going, it's me and God against the world. So Daniel, was he specialized in explaining riddles and interpreting dreams that God would give, okay? And so that there is a, a category for someone who has a knack for this. Like they're just, that's, that comes natural to them. It's their gifting. Um, and I'd love to see that more in the church, people using that. In a, in a healthy capacity. Uh, Daniel answers the king. Remember, God reveals mysteries. Not me, not you, and not any school, not any educational facility, right? It's God who reveals mysteries. Do you get that? So when you rely on any person who makes themselves an authority and they go, I interpret, I reveal mysteries. Hold on, red flag. The fact that you are relying on self and promoting self, hmm? that's, that's probably a red flag for me. Um, yeah. <coughs> so, um, Hebrews chapter 12, or Hosea chapter 12, verse 10, uh, talks about, I spoke to the prophets, God speaking, um, it was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. So God gives specifically parables through prophets. That's a, another way of explaining a riddle. That's a kind of riddle. When you use parabolic language, <clears throat> you're, you're cloaking truth and imagery. Right? You're explaining ideas in these different, um, I don't know, uh, mediums. Okay. So parables, when Ezekiel sent to give parables, Jesus sent to give parables. It's a, it's a way to conceal truth while delivering it to someone in a way that has to be decrypted. Um, and you rely on God for that decryption, for that understanding. Uh, Beverly says, um, if someone has the gift of interpreting dreams, um, 
the spirit would not allow a person to be wrong if in fact they have that gift. I think that is actually one of the misconceptions I've addressed in the first video uh, in this series. It's, it's the misconception that um, someone who's gifted in an area has 100% accuracy because God has gifted them to never be wrong or mess up because, of course, it defames his name. That's the arguments I, I, that, I, that I hear. Um, I, I won't get into that right now, but that is a common misconception. I don't agree with that, um, that if someone's gifted to do something, they'll succeed every time if indeed God's behind it. I think people still get in the way. People still have the flesh to wrestle with. People still have their own thoughts and desires to filter through and don't always consult God and might presumptu presumptuously give an interpretation they didn't actually ask God for. Uh, like Nathan, Nathan the prophet comes to David and I've heard someone say, Nathan wasn't wrong there. Then what was he? Because God said something different than what Nathan told David. David goes, I want to build a house. And Nathan goes, God is with you, buddy. God is with you. And in fact, God wasn't with him. And Second Chronicles uh, records that. Daniel goes, God did not want me to build the house. That was not in the cards for me because I have too much bloodshed. My son's going to build the house. But Nathan told David that he could and God was with him in that. God was not. Nathan the prophet got it wrong. And he's not stoned for being wrong. He actually lives and he continues to be David's seer. He got it wrong. That doesn't make him any less a prophet. He's still a prophet of God. And so um, prophet does not mean never mess up. That, that, that eliminates the, the human element of us working with and alongside God. God is working with human vessels. He can, guess what? God can still advance his plan and his kingdom and bring about full redemption even through imperfect vessels that are fallible like us. And he chooses to work with us. Um, so uh, that's why when someone gives an interpretation, you don't just go, ah, you're a trustworthy source and you would never get it wrong. You take that and you go, let me bring that before the Lord. I have a personal relationship with God and he can clarify whether this indeed is correct, whether that's through peace and comfort, extra confirmation, um, just con continual reaffirming. Um, I don't know how he would do that. How, that's up to God. But the point is, okay, that yeah, I understand that someone can give a wrong interpretation and misdirect someone. That's not on God. That's on the person who's fallible. And it's on the person who has the dream and is receiving the interpretation to make sure they go before the Lord. Like if Nancy told me, hey, I have an interpretation for your dream. And I don't go, well, Nancy is 85, so there's no way she can get anything wrong. I mean, just look at her. She looks like she's 40 and she's 85. She must be doing something, right? So she's reliable. I'll never question Nancy. No, you should question what she's bringing. Not as if she's not trustworthy, but to lay it before the Lord and say, hey, Nancy said this. I trust her counsel and her wisdom and her heart and her character and her life. And I believe this. there's, there's something about this, Lord, that sits with me. I, I'm bringing it before you to clarify. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with leaning on God who gives the interpretation, okay? Um, I will probably save the false visions and dreams for the session we do on false prophecy and false prophets, okay? Um, I was going to go through Colossians 2 and Jeremiah 23, Zechariah 10, Jeremiah 29, Jude 1. The, the very big thing that I can say is this, okay? <clears throat> there are false visions. There are false dreams. Um, the enemy does and can give counterfeit versions that... Uh, potentially are legitimate where you're like dang that actually happened and I went to that psychic down the street and what do you know Petunia was right um, that there can be actual legitimate uh, 
those things can happen. There can be false visions and false uh, dreams and interpretations that don't come from God, but he allows, just like he says in, uh, I think it was Deuteronomy, he allows for the testing of his people to test their character and their, and their love for him. Um, and it's our job to not go, was that right? But did, was the fruit of that God honoring? Was that from God? And there are false visions and dreams we get, we'll, we'll talk about and how to discern between those we'll talk about when we get to the false prophets session um, on prophecy, all right? But for now, I'm going to leave you on a little bit of a cliffhanger and make you go search the scriptures yourself and let you know, yes, not every dream is from God. Not every interpretation is correct. Uh, not everything you think about your dream or you think is a dream from God actually is, okay? And these things need to be discerned, prayed about, counsels necessary, all this stuff. If you guys did not know, this is our online ministry. Uh, my wife and I moved out here from California about a year ago in faith. God called us to start this online ministry. Here we are. AboveReproachMinistry.com is where you can find everything, okay? Our online church, all our free resources, free devotional studies, free Bible study classes online, free Bible study worksheets, um, uh, my book is not free, <laughs> free Bible study workshops, a copy of my book, Fruitful, which gives you the essential keys to living the most abundant, satisfying Christian life. Um, and you can also give to this ministry because we are crowdfunded. We rely on what God provides through his people. So this is my full-time job to support my wife and two kids. All this content is completely free to everyone around the planet. We're resourcing the church, reaching the lost, building leaders up, teaching people how to read the Bible. And um, everything you give, it's poured right into that. So you can give through debit or credit card. You can give, send a check. You can give through PayPal. You can give through Cash App. You can give through Venmo. You can give through Patreon on a monthly basis. And you can get some church merch. Represent Jesus on your body. Support our ministry. It all goes back into the creation of this content and the edification of the church and resourcing the global church. All right? So there's no way... Uh, I don't know, there's a plethora of ways to give. So no one's like, I just couldn't find a way to give. Eh, really? Really though? If you want to, if you feel led to, you don't have to, but it's all completely free because of people who make this possible. So if you want to join and partner with us in prayer, um, be a part of our online church, use your gifts and start being active in that community, come. Come on over, man. Um, other than that, that's all I have for you guys today. I will get to false prophets, false prophecies, those warning passages. When we get there, Monday, we'll go through visions um, but as regards dreams, be discerning, be thoughtful, don't assume, don't think everything's from God, and don't think nothing's from God, right? Um, be careful about who you share things with, look at Joseph, otherwise you might end up in Potiphar's house, all right? And, uh, that's it.